Have you ever been so thankful for something that you just keep expressing it over and over again? Maybe you've been given a gift, or maybe you've been given something, it just means a lot to you, and you just find yourself just over and over again. This is my mom. If you ever want to feel good about yourself, just get her some gift because she'll compliment you and say thank you for the next two months. And maybe you know some of those people, maybe this is you, but you, there's just this gratitude that just kind of sits like on the, the edge of their lips. Like they're always waiting to say thank you. And, and, and that's kind of the sentiment of, of the text that we're going to be in tonight. But this guy named Paul, we're going to talk a little bit about him. He's his father of Jesus, lived a couple thousand years ago. And, and, and he's writing tonight from just this place of thankfulness, of of gratitude, of praise. And so uh, I want to just kind of give this to you. I don't know if you're a note taker. This might help you if, um, if you are. If not, you can just keep rolling with us. But I, I've kind of broken up this text into to three different sections just for structural and memorable purposes. This is not in your Bible. So, you know, this is man-made. This is not uh, of God. But um, it's definitely not of the enemy either. But uh, verses 15 and 16 is, is about Paul. Verses 17 through 19 is about his prayer. The verses 20 through 23 is about the power. And so we're going to talk about Paul. We're going to talk about his prayer. We're going to talk about the power. And so let's, let's look at Paul for a minute in verse 15. Ephesians chapter 1. This is what he says. For this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all God's people, I have not stopped giving thanks for you remembering you in my prayers. And I love this. And so, um, you know, we've been in a series in the book of Ephesians. This is our third week in uh, this book, in this letter. And I, I kind of talked about this at Marathon. I know that Aaron kind of set this up, and Dave's talked about it a little bit as well. But, but Paul, he spent three years of his life in Ephesus with these people. You know, Ash, think about someone that you spent three years of your life with. Who's someone that, that for, you know, TZ, think about a college roommate, like someone that, that you just get to know, someone that, that for three years you're just locked into their life. Think about how well you get to know someone. Think about how well you care about people when you're just day in and day out with them. Paul's with him for, for three years or so, and, 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 and Paul leaves the city of Ephesus. He goes on to a different city, and it says that, that, that tenish years, ten, tenor year, I can't even talk tenor, ten years or so have passed. Paul's sitting under house arrest in this different city. He's sitting in Rome, and, he's, and he's, uh, he, he can't leave. He can't come and visit these group of Christians that he would spent so much of his life with. He's under house arrest. But, but you get the sense that someone has come and visited Paul, and they start to inform him about the things that God is doing in the city of Ephesus. So Paul sits down. You know, one night, I just imagine him having that, that feather tip pen and this scroll and a candle. And he, and he sits down, however, whatever they used 2,000 years ago to write letters. And, and, he, and he sits down, and he's thinking about this group of people, and he writes this letter. And he says, for this reason. And I thought, Aaron, so beautifully, Aaron came as pastor, the guy that welcomed us, set this up so well. If you weren't here last week, go back and listen to the podcast. It was just fantastic what he's talking about for this reason. He's talking to a group of Christians. He says that you have been, you've been saved. You have, you have been filled with the Holy Spirit. You've been made into sons and daughters of God. And he says, for this reason, ever since I heard about your faith and your love, I have not stopped giving thanks for you. And this seems strange. Like, why would Paul uh, say this to a group of people that he knew? And I think what he's helping us see here is that, is that many new people in the city of Ephesus have come to faith. 
that Christians in Ephesus had been sharing their faith in Jesus and the church was growing. So Paul was writing this letter to some people that he knew personally and many more that he didn't know personally. Some people that knew his face, knew his voice, and many more that didn't know him. And, and I just kept thinking, you know, I've had one of those weeks. It is, it is an absolute joy when you get to invest in people's life, when you spend a lot of time with people. And then to, 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 to see them five or 10 or 15 years later just going hard after God. And it is so encouraging. I don't know if you've experienced that, if you've had someone like that in your life. I was about one of my good friends. He goes to another one of our locations. His name's Logan. And he and I sat down at Crema this week. And he was eating his avo toast. And uh, we were just sitting there talking. And, and, you know, Logan, I first met him 12 years ago. And he was just this passionate, just this zealous man that was going after the heart of God. And I had this conversation with him this week. And all he could talk about was helping his, his coworkers that didn't know Jesus come to know him and serving his wife and, and raising his children in, in a home where, where Jesus is Lord, where Jesus is celebrated. And I just, I, I connected with him and I just got th- kept thinking, man, it is amazing to see when people you love after a period of time, you, you see that they're still going hard after the kingdom of God. And Paul sits down and he hears about this group of Christians in Ephesus and, he's, and it brings so much joy to his heart. He says, every time I think about you, I keep giving God thanks. This is Paul. Let's look at his prayer, verse 17. He says, I keep asking, this is, what, this is what he prays for, I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, that he may give you the Spirit, the Holy Spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance and his holy people and his incomparably great power for us who believe. So much rich stuff in here. Look the way that Paul talks about God. This lets you know that he really knows God. He doesn't just know about him. He says, the the glorious father. When you describe the father, how do you describe him? Angry? Disappointed, frustrated? Do you see him as powerful? Do you see him as as kind? And And I love what Paul says about the Father. He says he is glorious. That God is beautiful, that he is magnificent. He says, and I keep asking this, this glorious Father of ours, this Father that Paul knows so well, to give these Ephesians, to give us Nashvillians, the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that we may know him better. You know, here's the deal. Whenever anyone turns to Jesus in faith and baptism, and Aaron talked about this last week, that, that man, that woman is given the Holy Spirit. This is Acts 2.38. This is, this is non-negotiable that whenever you turn to Christ, he gives you the Holy Spirit. Last weekend, our, one of our different church, um, the Marathon community, we, we went on a, a, a retreat, just, just our church family. And it was so fun just kind of getting away and getting to sit down and to, to listen to people's stories. And, and, and one of the things that so encouraged me was just getting to hear about the things that people were doing in the kingdom of God. And I just was so reminded, man, that whenever anyone turns to Christ, the Holy Spirit is put there. Like Jonathan, the Holy, the Holy Spirit is inside of you. And Cole, the, the Holy Spirit is inside of you. And, and, and the Holy Spirit dwells inside of believers. 
The Holy Spirit dwelled inside of these believers in the city of Ephesus. And Paul is not praying that they would receive the Holy Spirit for the first time here. They already have the Spirit. He is praying that God, through the Holy Spirit, would continue to make them aware of who God is and who they are. Who God is, who you are, and what God is doing in us and around us and through us. And I love that Paul prays, you know, you could pray anything in the world. He says, I'm praying that you would know God better. And there's a, a part of it that could feel insulting. You know, if, if I were to come to you and be like, man, I, w- I want you to know God better. You'd be like, I know God already. Like, you being arrogant, Paul? Like, what's going on there? And Paul's not being insulting. He's, he's extending an invitation. He says, I, I know God. And I want you to keep knowing him, him, him better. And, and you know, I, I used my wife as an example this morning, but I was just thinking about Will, the guy that was leading worship. You know, Will and I uh, were freshmen in college together. Been a part of a mission trip that literally just kind of changed our lives. And our wives are good friends and our kids are friends. And you guys get to know Will, who, who plays the guitar and who sings and who leads us in worship. But, but I want you to know Will better. I want you to see the way that, that he, he prays for this church. The way that he does things behind the scenes that no one else knows, that no one else will know. I want you to see the, the ways that he is creatively trying to, to reach people that don't know Jesus. And I go, you might know Will, but I want you to know him better. I can do this about all the people on our staff, Katie and Stoney and Aaron and Cole. And this is a sentiment that Paul is writing. He says, I want you to know God better. That there's more of God for, for you to know. Think about this, the God whose, whose mind and whose power created this world with all of its intricacies. A God that would send his own son to die for us. And there is always more of God's bigness and goodness and love for us to discover. Paul prays, I pray that you would know him better. He goes on to pray this. He prays that that, that you would know the hope to which he has called us, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people. I love that Paul prays this. He, He prays that we would understand his glorious inheritance, not ours. You know, an inheritance, you think about this just in our terms. Let's get away from the Bible for a minute. What's an inheritance? Something that your, your parents, or your grandparents have, have set aside for you, that you're, that you're looking forward to. It's something that is coming your way. And I love, I absolutely love this picture of, that, that Paul gives us of God in Ephesians chapter 1. He says, do, do you want to know what God is most looking forward to in the future? Do you want to know the inheritance, Lauren, that, that God is excited about stepping into? Do you want to know what it is that excites God more than anything? Being with his holy people. It's us. That what God is looking forward to enjoying forever is, is you and I. I was listening to a Francis Chan podcast last week and he, and he said this line and he said, man, do you, do you realize how crazy God is about you? My mom, I call her every Sunday night on the way home from prayer gathering. 
just my weekly touch point. She lives up in Murray and just kind of a way that I can stay in touch with her, let her know what's going on in my life. And I kid you not, I'm going to record a conversation just so you know that I'm not lying. Or maybe I'll record several conversations, but, but every point, uh, every time, you know, I'll, I'll get it tonight when I'm driving home. She'll, she'll say these lines, you know, I, I miss y'all so much. And I'm married and I have three little, I have three little kids and, and she'll say this. She said, I can't wait to see y'all. And she'll ask about Finley and Jones and Merritt and she'll say, man, y'all just get me through Brandon. Like put up with all these little kids at school all week and, and y'all are the things that get me through. Like thinking about getting to see y'all. And every time on the phone, I'm kind of rolling my eyes because she says it every week. And I'm like, mom, get a life. Like, you know, just, (laughs) but I see in her life, God's heart for his children, a heart that leaps thinking about reunion. I love that he, Paul, he praises, he says, Christians, People who are here, people who are seeking for God, trying to discover if this whole God thing is real. He says, I pray that that you would know the hope that there is a God in heaven who is waiting for you, who is wanting you, who who delights in you. He says, I pray that you would know this hope. You know, we hope for a lot of things in this life. Some of you are going, man, I I hope I pass this class. I have finals in a few weeks and, and, and I do not want to take that class over again. Some of you are, are hoping this relationship works out, that he finally works up the courage and puts a ring on that finger. Some of you are hoping that investment works out, whatever it is, that, that we put our hope in a lot of things and we're optimistic that they're going to turn out. And yet there's nothing certain. There's nothing that has been settled about that relationship or that class, that investment. And yet with God, we have this hope of of life with him forever. And it's more than just optimistic thinking. But the reality is that we're not experiencing life with God fully yet. That there's this element of, of hoping. You know, Paul says this in another part of the scripture. He says, who hopes for what they already have? No, we hope, we, we eagerly await. And, and I think Paul is trying to, to stir the waters of the hearts and going, do you realize that, that, that you have this hope that, that, that God is waiting for you, that God wants you? And he says on, at night and in the morning, in the middle of the night when I wake up, I'm, I'm praying for you that you would know this God more and more, that you would know the hope. And he ends a prayer. Verses 19 through 23, talking about the power. We looked at Paul, we looked at the prayer, and let's look at the power real fast, starting in verse 19. It says, and, and his incomparably great power for us who believe. He says, that power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead. And he seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion and every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. And God has placed all things under Jesus' feet and appointed Jesus to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. This is the word of the Lord from Ephesians chapter one. And I love and appreciate what Paul does here. He connects all the dots for, for the people in Ephesus. He connects the dots for us. The hope that we have that God really is waiting on us is Jesus. 
It's so easy in, in Nashville, especially just kind of surrounded in the Christian subculture that we live in, to, 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 to see this and to say this, you know, that God loves you and, and God is for you. And, and those things are true. I agree with both of those statements. But the reason we know those statements are true is because of Jesus, not just some warm, fuzzy feeling that we have inside of us, it's because of the Son, that we have hope of life with God forever because of Christ. And Paul says so much rich stuff in these last four verses, and, and I, I just want to speak into this for a minute. I hope that we never grow dull and apathetic to the resurrection of Christ. And maybe we're in a season right now where we talk about resurrection. It doesn't really fire anything in your heart. And I pray that God would just reunite that tonight or he would unite it or he would, yeah, for the first time tonight. Ignite's the word I was looking for, not unite. I tend to talk a lot about the death of Jesus for our sins. My own sin, my own past, my own struggle, and it's a huge part of my story where I've just realized how terribly sinful I am. And maybe you come in this place and you're just aware of how broken and sinful you are. But here's the reality. Although Jesus came and died for our sins, um, Jesus did not stay dead. He didn't stay dead. Amen? That by the power of the God of the heavens, I mean, this is an an unbelievable power, power. Think about this. God of the heavens that we can't see, but one day every single one of us will. We'll stand face to face. We'll see him in all of his glory. Jesus Christ died on a Friday. Literally, they took his body down from a cross. They, they laid him in a tomb. They watched. They weeped. They jabbed a spear in his side to see if he'd react. There was, there was no sign of life. He was dead It wasn't like he was in a coma. It wasn't like, no, no, their life left Jesus Christ. They took his body down. Joseph Arimathea, Nicodemus, they laid it in a tomb. They sealed the tomb. And he laid dead on a Friday night. And he laid dead on a Saturday. And early on a Sunday morning, God made Jesus' heart start beating again. Just picture this. He's, he's laying in the tomb dead and the power of God comes on Christ and his heart was, was stopped and all of a sudden it starts beating again. And the blood starts flowing from his heart through his arms and through his legs and into his mind and, 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 and he opens his eyes. And he can crunch, he can bend his fingers and, and he feels strength in his knees and his legs and, and he gets up off the ground and, and Jesus Christ was and is alive. Amen. And he triumphed over death. First Corinthians chapter 15 tells us that, that Jesus, when he came back from the dead, that he appeared to over 500 people. And so it's foolish to say that, that Jesus just, uh, you know, that, that, that he didn't rise from that. No, he, he appeared. 500 people touched him, saw him, ate with him, walked with him. It says that for a period of 40 days, he was on this earth post-resurrection. It says that after 40 days, it, that, that's what Paul says, that, that the father called Jesus. He, he took Jesus and he set him at his right hand. And this is so beautiful. You know, the, the Jewish people in the Old Testament, they would have understood this a whole lot more to be seated at someone's right hand is to be in this uh, position of special 
privilege and honor. To be at someone's right hand was a, a, a position of victory and power. And in Ephesians, Paul's going to tell this in a few weeks in chapter two, that, that all of us who are Christians, we've, we've already been seated in the heavenly realms with Christ. But I want you to know this, that, that nowhere in scripture does it say that Christians have been seated at the right hand of God, that this is a special place only for Jesus. That as much as the father loves us, as much as he has made us into daughters and his sons, Christ is at his right hand. That there's no one like Jesus and never will be. And I love that he mentions that Jesus is above every power, every authority, every rule, every dominion. And honestly, that doesn't mean too much in our culture. We are a culture of reason. We don't talk much about the unseen world. But in their culture, they, they really believed and embraced in the spiritual world. People of other religions not followers of Jesus, that, that they worked with, that they lived with. And we're going to discover this as we keep going. They, they practiced magic, dark, like arts. And it's pretty clear that, that these people, that there was some real power in their lives, that they were doing things, that they had the ability to affect and, and change things. And Paul just, right from the get-go, he wants to say to these people, he wants to say to the Ephesians, he wants to say to people all over the world who, who are well aware that we're in a spiritual battle, he says, you have, you have nothing to fear. That every power, every dominion, every rule, every authority has been subjected to Christ. And, and I might be missing it here, but uh, I trust in grace if I am, but to help, uh, but to hope, I hope to help us see this a little bit better. The way this, the powers, the rule might, be working in our own lives. And so have you ever been just going about your day, going to class, going to school, going to work, coming home, and just a, a terribly just dark, or sinful, sad thought comes in your head? You ever had one of those days where you just, you're hearing the, the, the voice in your head telling you that, that, that you don't matter? That no one even notices you, that, that, that no one would miss you if you were gone. You ever heard of those voices telling you you should commit suicide? You should have an affair? That you should sleep with him even though you're not married to him? Have you ever had one of those moments and, and you gain perspective and you realize, wait, that's not from me. Like, I wasn't pursuing those thoughts. I wasn't, that, that came out of nowhere. And if you've ever had one of those moments, I've had several of these moments in my life, it, it just kind of evokes fear. Like, where did that come from? And I love what Paul is saying here. That everything's been subjected to Christ. Christ is stronger. He's with us. And he ends a little passage like this. He says that Christ, Jesus Christ, is a fullness of God, and Christ fills everything, including us, in every way. I was in Baja Burrito on Tuesday night, and I was walking in, and this just behemoth of a man was walking out, and we kind of rubbed shoulders. And 
six six, you know, TC, he's like hanging up in your crowd up there with you. And six six, I don't know how big he was, but his biceps were bigger than my whole body. And and you know, I, I just was I, I saw this guy and I, I watched the way that, that he walked into Baja like you know, when, when you're strong and when you're big and you're powerful, you just, you hold yourself differently. Like I've never, I've never felt that. Like, you know, I've never walked into a room and just like bowed out my bony chest and like, but when you're, when you're powerful and, and you're strong, there's just this confidence and it's not an arrogance. It might be an arrogance, but I don't, I don't think it's arrogance, but, but you walk into a room and you're like, man, I'm not scared. I'm not scared of what people think. I'm not scared of, of anyone starting a fight because I know I could take any person in this room. Like, I think the, the confidence that Paul's wanting to say is you need to know that you're strong. Christians, you're strong because Christ has filled you. He is filling you. In all the places of fear, he fills it up with faith. Places of doubt fills it up with his character, with himself. And Paul's writing to this group of Christians that he loves so dearly. He says, I want you to know that I'm praying for you. Here's how I want to end tonight. I love this church so much. I would take a bullet for this church. Not in the heart, but like probably in the hand or something. Like, <laughs> you know. I, I love this church so much. Let me speak to those of you who aren't Christians just for a minute. I have a good friend from college, and I officiated her wedding. It'll be nine years this upcoming October. She's not a follower of Jesus. She reached out to me this week. She sent me a Facebook message, and she said, she said Brandon, you're as close as a, a spiritual figure as I have in my life. And I've been going to church recently, and, and I just I have some questions. Do you want to get together and meet with me? And I'm up in my office, and I read that message, and I just start going crazy. I'm like, yes, Lord, like, you're so faithful, God. Like, when, when, when I have forgotten about her, when she's not been on my radar, she's always been on yours. And when I haven't been praying for her, God, you've consistently, Christ Jesus, you've been interceding for her. And God, this is, this is amazing. You're, you're, you're phenomenal. There's no one like you, God. See, there's nothing that I want more for my friend than for her to know Jesus. And if you come here tonight, you're not a follower of Jesus. First of all, man, I'm proud. I'm so proud that you're even here. What courage it takes to even come into a place of worship. Who knows the, the story that you have and the things that you're working past to even come into this place. Just props to you. And I hope you come to know that God desires reunion. That he doesn't want you to, uh, for what you can do for him. He wants you to understand how much he's done for you. He wants you to understand how deeply loved you are by the invisible God, the God of the heavens. Part of our lives as Christians, part of what we are devoted to is to helping people who don't know Jesus come to know him. And so tonight, if you come here with, with someone that invited you, and if they're a follower of Jesus and you're not, we're going to take communion here in just a minute. And communion is just this, this word that, that means that we, just, we think about Jesus. And so we, we take this piece of bread, we drink this cup of juice to simply remember that his body was broken, that his blood was shed. And we do this every week. We, we like to, to break up into groups and to scatter all over the room and just to, to share 
And if you come here tonight and you're not a Christian, I invite you to, to ask one of your Christian friends any question that you have about Jesus. I'm swinging the door wide open, especially if you're a Christian. Hey, that, that for those of you who aren't followers of Jesus, you, you, are, you have the, op- like, this is me just giving you permission. You can ask your friends who aren't Christians any questions. Because part of our job is to walk. We might not have all the answers, but we're going to walk with you. We're going to pray for you. And we're going to be here for you. For those of you who aren't Christians, if, if you come here tonight and you don't know anyone, every Sunday at the, these Red Respond banners, we, we just have some men and women back here. And if, if you want to talk, if, if you want someone to take you to coffee or lunch, we would love to get together with you and, and to hear your stories, to hear your questions, and to, to pray with you, to share whatever it is that we can. And we just we want the kingdom of heaven to keep expanding. The kingdom of heaven expands when one man, one woman turns to Jesus in faith. So for, that's, for those of you who are not following Jesus, for those of you who are Christians, here's what I want to invite you to do, to two things. The first thing is this. As you take communion, I want to just invite you. What did the Holy Spirit say to you tonight? What stood out to you? What convicted you? What unsettled you? What emancipated you? What did the Holy Spirit say to you? As you're taking the communion tonight, as you're taking the bread and the cup, I invite you to share that. You can scatter all over the room. You can turn your chairs. This is our last gathering of the night. And the same thing I want to invite you to do this week is I want to invite you to pray this prayer, verses 17 through 19, over people in your life who don't know Jesus. I invite you to, to get in a quiet place, maybe it's your bedroom or a closet, or to get on your knees and just to ask that God would give the Holy Spirit, that he would enlighten the eyes of your friends and your family members' hearts so that they could know the hope the inheritance that God has. Easter is coming up. Like I said at the beginning, people give God a chance at Easter. And so as we're praying this week, man, let's really pray and believe and believe that, that our words, that God somehow uses them and he uses our heart, he uses our persistence to pursue his people that are far from him. And let's just pray that this Easter would be a great homecoming, a great reunion for God and for many. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for this church. Thank you for so much, so much for your church worldwide. Thank you that, that you are what connects us, Jesus. God, for those who are feeling the urge to just come to the Respond Banner, God, let them not feel insecure. There's something real courageous. In fact, all throughout the scriptures, that people who made the effort to, to leave their comfort zone and to approach you, God, um, it's just undeniable all throughout scripture that you rewarded that with your presence. And God, I pray tonight for those who are feeling reluctant, who want to talk or who want to share, who need prayer, God, would you just give them the Holy Spirit to seek that? God, for my brothers and my sisters who don't yet know you, thank you, Lord, for what you're doing in their lives. Thanks for bringing them to a, a church family tonight. And God, I pray you would keep working. And God, I just pray that you'd pour out your spirit on us tonight your love and your joy and your peace and your patience and your kindness and your goodness and your faithfulness, your gentleness, your self-control, God, that we would be your people. We love you. 
We are your children, we are your sons and your daughters. You are our amazing Father. In the name of Jesus we pray, amen.